The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Freezing cold temperatures, one last Des Moines Register poll, a flurry of final campaign events. It's all totally normal, except for the minor detail that the frontrunner is a four times indicted wannabe dictator. His words, two of my favorite political experts are standing by as we count down to tomorrow's Iowa caucuses. Plus, Congressman Adam Schiff is here with reaction to Trump's wild argument for presidential immunity. Also today, the law firm of Weissman and Katiel on the intimidation and harassment facing basically every judge and prosecutor involved in the Trump trials. And later, my day in Delaware at Biden campaign headquarters. As Democrats freak out ahead of the general election, I'll talk to some of the brains behind the Biden strategy. Well, it's finally here. The first contents of the 2024 election cycle. Just about 31 hours from now, caucus goers in Iowa will brave record cold conditions. I'm talking sub-zero temperatures with life-threatening wind chills to cast their votes for the candidate of their choice. And last night, we got our best prediction of what that might look like. Every four years, campaign staff, supporters, and the candidates themselves wait for the final poll to come out from the Des Moines Register. Well, it's not always an exact predictor of the outcome. It offers a sense of where things stand, who's up, who's down, who has the momentum just days out from the first nominating contest. I actually remember the exact moment in 2004 the poll showed John Kerry leading for the first time in the final days before the caucus. Uh, then he went on to win. We literally had to hold our phones, our BlackBerry, outside of a bus. That's the time we were living through. There wasn't quite as much drama this time around. Trump is sitting at a dominant 48%, according to this poll. Nikki Haley is sitting at 20%, which means she narrowed the gap by about seven points over the last month. And this time, she edged out Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for second place. But there are also some not-so-great signs for Nikki Haley in this poll as well. Chief among them is what appears to be a giant enthusiasm gap between her and Trump. And enthusiasm is important when it is freezing cold outside. Overall, it's been a pretty solid week for Haley, perhaps peaking on Wednesday when former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie announced he was bowing out of the race. Christie's absence means we have lost, though, one candidate who was actually willing to full-throatedly and wholeheartedly come out against Donald Trump. But for Nikki Haley, his exit means she will likely gain support, mainly in New Hampshire, where she may get a boost big enough to actually surpass Trump in that state. So is there a world in which Nikki Haley finishes a strong second tomorrow with the help of Democrats crossing over and independents voting for her? That she wins New Hampshire and makes us all a little bit interesting for a couple of weeks? It's definitely possible. But what is more likely is that tomorrow night is the start of another Trump coronation. And the frontrunner did finally make it to Iowa last night, after spending much of the week not exactly barnstorming across Iowa's 99 counties, he hasn't been doing that really at all, but doing his own version of campaigning instead in the courtroom. But tomorrow, he's back on the ballot. And I just want to pause on that for a simple 
to make a simple point for a second, because his name is about to be back on the ballot after January 6th, after a federal indictment over his efforts to overturn the election, after a federal indictment over hoarding nuclear secrets at his house. People may have forgotten about that one. After being found liable for sexual abuse, after a mugshot, and after all of the court appearances. He's going to be back on the ballot after all of the echoing of Adolf Hitler and after claiming he wants to be a dictator himself. Starting tomorrow, starting with this Iowa caucus in the freezing cold, all of that is officially on the ballot in America. And yes, the tiny sliver of the country that makes up the Republican primary and the, of the electorate in the state of Iowa is likely going to decide, if this poll is true, that's their guy, despite all of that. And maybe Nikki Haley does make a run at him. Maybe this does get a little bit interesting. But if it doesn't, if Donald Trump comes out of these early states the clear and presumptive nominee, well, that's going to say a lot about who the majority of the Republican base want to see in office, which is going to say a lot about the country, too. This election is an enormous test, a test of our priorities, of our values, of the way we look at democracy itself. And it all starts tomorrow. Joining me now are some of my favorite people to talk with about politics and other things, too. Dan Pfeiffer is a former senior advisor to President Barack Obama and author of The Message Box on Substack. Tim Miller is the former communications director for Jeb Bush's 2016 campaign and writer at large for The Bulwark. And Garrett Haake is an MSNBC senior Capitol Hill correspondent, and he's in Indianola, Iowa, for us this hour. So, Garrett, let me start with you, because you've got some reporting to do there. You've got a Trump campaign event preparing to happen behind you. Give us a sense. There's this new poll out. Give us a lay of the land on the ground. How does the Trump team and others feel about where things stand at this point? Well, Jen, they're buoyed by the same numbers you just talked about, particularly that enthusiasm number, which they feel like is evidenced even by the crowd behind me here. These events that Donald Trump's been doing in Iowa are much smaller than his traditional mega rallies, but it's still a packed house. And when the feels like temperature is negative 35 degrees, that's the feels like here in Indianola right now, that tells you something about how committed these Trump supporters are. Now, a very excited voter and a regular voter still vote the same once they're in the room uh, caucusing tomorrow night. But those numbers all back up what the Trump campaign's theory of the case has been all along, which is right now he is presumptively an incumbent within the Republican Party. He is, despite all of those things you laid out, still the leader of basically a movement within this party, not just a traditional candidate. And they think they can harness that. Now, I suppose if you're Nikki Haley and you're looking at this in terms of the enthusiasm, you're trying to find something to look at that gives you a little bit of hope. A lot of what we find from these Trump supporters are that they are first-time caucus goers. That cuts both ways. These are people who are not necessarily part of the process says typically they are coming out to be new voters. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they're new here. Maybe they were politically disengaged. Um, it creates a bigger universe of people for him to reach. I'm talking to a lot of those folks here today. Theoretically, there's an opportunity there that perhaps they are more into the show and less into the voting. But all of the Trump supporters I've talked to since I got on the ground here in Iowa more than a week ago now have been telling me versions of the same thing. There is no temperature too cold for them to get in their cars and go vote for him, caucus for him on Monday night. And I think that's what that polling has indicated. And that's what we're looking like at this uh, Republican primary process really does get kicked off here tomorrow night.
Garrett, thank you so much. One of the things that's been so stunning to me is the crazier things he says, the more people seem to embrace him, according to these domain Register polls. Thank you. We'll let you get, get back to your reporting. So, Dan, let me turn to you first here, because you and I both remember well what it's like, and Tim <laughs> does too, to a different degree, what it's like to kind of be hitting refresh on the polar coaster of what these polls look like and what it's an indicator of, which is often momentum. I mean, the enthusiasm gap issue here seems pretty big, but what stuck out to you about these polling numbers? Well, I think this poll is just kind of tells the whole story of this Republican primary. Donald Trump is, as Garrett said, functionally the incumbent. Nikki Haley has has consolidated the small faction of the Republican Party that's anti-Trump. Like in the, in this poll, half of her support is coming from independents. Three quarters, more than three quarters of them disapprove of Trump. That is not a formula to win a Republican primary. It is a formula that could possibly, maybe if you squint, get you to first place in New Hampshire, but then it's ballgame. So I think this poll is very bad news for Haley in the primary. I think it's actually bad news for Trump in the general election, right? Donald Trump is the incumbent. He should actually be getting more than 50% of the vote against these sort of subpar candidates. And the fact that a quarter of the people who told your pollster that they were going to go out, likely to go out and caucus in sub-zero weather, say that they will vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump in the general election. So it's not all good news for Trump. It may be good news for winning the primary, but there are some warning signs for the general election. Yeah, there is some slippage, too, with Ann Seltzer talked about as well in some of the coverage. Tim, I wanted to ask you, I want to go back to New Hampshire in a moment, but I did want to ask you, sometimes surprising things happen. And this is all kind of a race for second place. Let's let's be clear. Trump is headed to the nomination, barring something crazy happening, which it could. But DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy have both kind of invested money, resources, staff, organizing on the ground. That's important when it comes to cold weather, too. Is there anything you're watching for that could be surprising here or not really? Well, I mean, I, I think in theory, DeSantis, at this point, DeSantis beating Haley would be kind of surprising. Again, I, Dan, it's, uh, I, I don't know what the long-term ramifications are of that. It seems like he then runs into a buzzsaw in New Hampshire. Um, I want to throw out, while we're in the dark place, um, maybe the surprise of tomorrow night might be Donald Trump doing better than these polls say. I think that would maybe be the most likely thing. I, you know, Vivek, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Vivek and De, the DeSantis vote total, you know, that the bottom fall out under that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very cold. They're not going to win. You know, Trump and Vivek have been in a little spat the last two days. If you're, you know, watching uh, MAGA social media, which I suffer through. Um, and so <laughs> thank I, you I for doing off- that for all of us. You're welcome. And so it's possible, right? If Vivek drops from eight to four and DeSantis drops from 16 to 12 and that goes to Trump, his number gets up towards 60. I think that's more likely to be surprising than there to be some big wave for one of the other candidates. Yeah, I mean, it's yes. It's also such a small population of people. I mean, record huge turnout is like 186,000. It could be lower than that with the cold or even in that it's not a huge number of people. So it could swing quickly. So, Dan, I wanted to kind of go forward here because this, this is what this is all about. Um, and you right. wrote this piece for Substack this week suggesting Christie's exit this week, which was a good moment for Haley, could put her over the top in the Granite State. Break that down for us and also talk to me a little bit about the states after New Hampshire, because that's the key thing. New Hampshire is a different electorate than most of the states post-New Hampshire. Sure. You sort of have to pick your poll, right? There was a CNN poll that had Haley down seven. There was a Boston Globe Suffolk poll that had Haley down 20. But if we presume that Haley was, was in with it, is within striking distance of Trump, Christie dropping out 12% of his vote, the overwhelming 
second choice of Christie voters is Nikki Haley. So that you could add that up to a number that could get above Trump, especially if she gets a little bit of momentum coming out of Iowa. This is all very theoretical. But what we have to recognize is that New Hampshire is maybe the least MAGA state in the entire country within the Republican primary electorate. Mm-hmm. Because one, it is it is the one of the least religious states. The percentage of New Hampshire Republican voters who are evangelical, evangelical Christian was 24 percent in 2016. In Iowa, it was above 60. And in South Carolina, which comes next, it's 72 percent. What also makes New Hampshire very unique is that non-declared voters or independents can walk in on primary day and pick a Republican mm-hmm. Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot. And if they and they're all all those independents are certainly going to vote in the Republican primary because there is not a primary that counts on the Democratic side. So this is a perfect environment for Haley to beat Trump. But after that, you don't run into another state like that ever again. South Carolina, very Republican, even though it's her home state. She's been down 30 points in recent polls. Then you get to the Deep South, which is where Trump closed the whole won the whole thing. Uh, in 2016. And now the rules are even more favorable to the front runner because Trump, his campaign very cleverly changed a lot of the delicate allocation rules. So the person who comes in first will now get almost all of or all of the, the delegates. So it is you. Re- it's really hard to see a path, even if Haley wins New Hampshire, unless somehow she can demonstrate a broadening of her coalition, which to date we have not seen. Uh, we have just seconds left here, Tim. So is your bet that DeSantis is still in the race on Tuesday? Maybe till Wednesday. Um, I, don't, I don't think he makes it to New Hampshire, though. You know, sometimes right. it takes a few days to figure it out. And I, I've been on some losing campaigns where it took a few days for, we, for reality sunk in. To, to digest. Reality can be hard. Um, Dan Pfeiffer, Tim Miller, thank you both so much for taking the time. Congressman Adam Schiff joins me after a quick break. I'll ask him about Donald Trump's repeated and outrageous claim that he's immune from prosecution. We're just getting started today and we'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Ahead of tomorrow's Iowa caucuses, I can't help but reflect on something that Donald Trump said right before the caucuses back in 2016. I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. So eight years ago, it was I could shoot someone and not lose votes. And now it's I could shoot someone and not be prosecuted. Do you agree with your lawyers what they said on Tuesday, that 
you should not be prosecuted or could not be prosecuted if you ordered SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent. If a president of the United States does not have immunity, he'll be totally ineffective. Somehow Donald Trump's response to that question was not, no, SEAL Team 6 should not be able to take out political opponents. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, who served on the House January 6th committee and was the lead manager during Trump's first impeachment. So, Congressman Schiff, one, thank you for your time this afternoon. I just it's so crazy what he's saying, which is why it's so important to point it out. So I really wanted to ask you first if. If Trump, what he's calling for here, if this were what were to happen, that there would be no, uh, no, no president would be held accountable for their actions, what would that mean exactly? Well, it is every bit as crazy as it sounds. It means that a president could order the assassination of his political opponents uh, and not be held accountable. It means that a president could threaten the life of a Senate president if they brought impeachment uh, proceedings and not be held accountable. Uh, essentially, it would, to quote Justice Goldberg, it would turn the Constitution into a suicide pact. And the Constitution is not a suicide pact. It doesn't require its own destruction. Uh, but to interpret the way Donald Trump would interpret the con Constitution, uh, it would nullify any of the protections the American people have from a despot or despotism. Uh, I think the tougher question, frankly, the Court of Appeals may have to deal with is, should they decide this before there's a verdict in the case? That may be the closer question. But on the merits of this, is a president immune uh, while in office from uh, being prosecuted for committing crimes when he leaves office? The answer is clearly no. And I think even with the current Supreme Court, uh, they're going to conclude, no, you don't have that kind of immunity. And, and even if the legal, uh, the courts rule, as you just said, and I think that's what a lot of legal experts are suggesting, it still gives us some insight into Donald Trump's thinking and to kind of what he thinks his powers would be if he were president. How does that sit with you and, and what should people know about what that reflects? Uh, and that's absolutely right. And you'll remember, uh, and I may not have the quote exactly right, but uh, he essentially said that the, uh, that Article 2 uh, gives him the power to do whatever he wants. Uh, as president of the United States, he, there is no limitation to his power, authority, immunity, uh, or capability to tear down our institutions to do whatever he wants. And this is, you know, quite the terrifying thing about him running for president again, which is he would start from the low point he ended. He would begin, mm -hmm. you know, uh, with insurrection. Uh, that is, when he started out, he had at least some people of stature. He got rid of them for people of no stature. He got rid of them, in turn, for people who were utter sycophants. Uh, and now there would be no, no boundaries, no guardrails, no nothing. And he's made it absolutely plain. Uh, he'll be dictator on day one, and that's the way he wants it. And his, insi his the insight into how he's going to approach this is so important, which is why I wanted to talk to you about it. Now, if you believe the polls, I mean, there was a new poll that came out overnight, NBC News, Des Moines Register poll, that basically shows that despite all of this, Republican voters in the primary are set to register their approval for Trump. They're set to say, basically, this is his guy, despite all the indictments, his comments about echoing Hitler. I'm just wondering, you know, as, you, as we sit here the day before the Iowa caucus, what you make of that and what it tells us about the Republican electorate. Well, it, it tells us, uh, I think there's been a real failure of leadership within the Republican Party. Uh, these candidates that are running against Trump aren't willing to take him on fully. They're not willing to go after him. 
Uh, they seem to be competing for whoever can come in second, uh, not even with an eye to being his running mate, but with an eye to running four years from now. Uh, and because none of them are willing to uh, call him out on what he is, which is a profound danger to our country, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, somehow now have normalized his conduct, his behavior. Well, if these others aren't willing to call him out on his 91 felony charges, well, then they must be OK or they must must be something wrong or political about them. Uh, so I think there's been a total failure of leadership among the Republican Party uh, and uh, I also think, though, that in terms of the presidential election and the ultimate general election contest, uh, it's going to be very important for President Biden to continue emphasizing everything he's doing to meet economic challenges Americans are facing. Uh, for those uh, who are in the thrall of Donald Trump, they're not going to be persuaded. But there are still millions and millions of people who are undecided, which is remarkable, but it's true. Uh, and I think uh, appealing to those voters by meeting you know, their economic needs for affordable housing, for affordable childcare, uh, to rebuild uh, a broadband and infrastructure. These are powerful cases to be made for President Biden uh, to win over, I think, voters who are yet to be decided. Definitely something, a lot of issues people care deeply about. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask you about something you've been talking a lot about, which is the fact that Donald Trump has confirmed that foreign governments paid his companies $7.8 million while he was in office. That's just scratching the surface, as you and others have made the point. Of all things to worry about in the second term, we've talked about some of them. Are we underestimating this foreign influence uh, on Trump or kind of what this desire to make more money on his behalf could mean in terms of his actions in a second term? I don't think we're underestimating it at all. And I've often thought that the biggest compromise of Donald Trump when it came to Vladimir Putin was Trump Tower, Moscow Trump Tower. Uh, this was going to be the most lucrative project of his life. Uh, you know, when he was running in 2016, he lied about having business interests in Russia, uh, even while his attorney, Michael Cohen, was on the phone uh, with the Kremlin trying to make that deal happen. Uh, and, you know, his view is that he'd be a fool to criticize Putin or stand up to Putin when he stands to make so much money from that deal. And, uh, and so, you know, whether it's Moscow Trump Tower or it's money from the Gulf nations, uh, it's always about money with Donald Trump and always about Donald Trump and not about the national interest. So, yes, these numbers, these emoluments, uh, the, you know, these rents that he collected from these nations that wanted to curry favor with him while he was president. Uh, that is just, I think, the beginning of the kind of grift and graft we would see if he got another chance at office. Follow the money of the grift. Uh, thank you so much, Congressman Adam Schiff, for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate your taking the time. Thank you. Up next, threats of violence against Trump's perceived enemies seem to be happening almost daily at this point. The latest victim, the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial. The law firm of Weissman and Cotiel is standing by and they're coming up next. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. An alarming number of public officials have recently been the victims of swatting attacks at their homes, meaning that police responded to false claims that a life-threatening crime was in progress, only to discover that the call was a hoax. Of course, these are hoaxes that put innocent people's lives at risk, given that police are misled into conducting massive raids on the false pretense that they're confronting violent criminals. And given the political climate, it's no surprise that a majority of the recent victims are people Trump has called out by name. People like Special Counsel Jack Smith, Judge Tanya Chutkin, Maine Secretary of State Chenna Bellows, and most recently, Judge Arthur Ngoron, among others. While the perpetrators of these swatting calls may be lone wolves, their actions fit a disturbing pattern. Their choice of targets, as well as the prevalence, sophistication even at times, and timing of their attacks— all suggest they're taking their cues from Donald Trump. And their actions are consistent with the culture of intimidation that Trump is deliberately trying to foster as he wages a retribution campaign to recapture the White House. Joining me now is our in-house law firm, Neil Katiel, is the former acting U.S. Solicitor General. Andrew Weissman is the former general counsel at the FBI and a senior member of special counsel Robert Mueller's team. So, Andrew, let me start with you, Uh, because even though Trump is not directly responsible for these swatting attacks that we've seen, of course, this is a culture he's created. And as a person who served in law enforcement for a long time, I want to ask you about um, what law enforcement can actually do, because it feels like it's it's just exploded these swatting attacks over the last couple of weeks. That's absolutely true. Um, there's certainly the case that, that law enforcement can investigate uh, and prosecute as they have done with respect to a person who uh, threatened Judge Chutkin. Um, and, and while these attacks on prosecutors and on judges is, is obviously very concerning, I'm keeping my eye on what the courts are going to do to protect witnesses and mm. jurors, um, because those are the people who where this a need for deterrence matters. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I go back to my days of prosecuting Gambino, Genovese, and Colombo family members in New York City. Mm-hmm. What we did for witnesses is we had a law enforcement present we presence. We had the witness security program um, for jurors. We had anonymous and sequestered jurors. It is remarkable to me that we are going to be talking about that, those kinds of steps when we're talking about a what should be a sort of white collar case against somebody who was the former president of the United States. But those steps are yeah. going to be needed um, to assure witnesses and jurors of their safety so that they can do their job and won't be intimidated from reaching a just result. Whichever, whichever way that justice requires, they won't be intimidated um, from reaching the right result. It's such an, I mean, alarming but important point Andrew's making there, Neil. I mean, the fact is people like Judge Tanya Chutkin, Judge Ngoron, they've become kind of household names. As as a, a lot of people involved in these trials and cases have been, that could be certainly the case with other witnesses. 
would they be would they be facing this kind of harassment if not for him? Is there any question in your mind? There, there's no question in my mind that they wouldn't, uh, Jen. You know, judges, prosecutors, witnesses, court officials, they shouldn't need round-the-clock protection. And it's defendant Trump's hateful and dishonest rhetoric that's fueling these kinds of threats. And, you know, particularly given the lead into this, when you were talking about Iowa and the other primaries, to me, one of the questions is, what is the, what did these episodes say about Donald Trump? And I think mm-hmm. they say a lot because, you know, Jen, when you and I were in the government, if we made any sort of stray remark that could wind up hurting someone, we would bend over backwards to make sure that didn't happen. We'd issue corrective statements, this, that, the other. I mean, it's not just us in government. I mean, every kid who's watched Spider-Man knows with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, Trump could put an end to all this with a single social media post. The public knows it. The mm-hmm. officials know it. Trump knows it. He's making a deliberate decision to stay quiet uh, about these threats and stir it up and then pretend, oh, who, me? I had nothing to do with it. It's, it's you know, ho- preposterous and horrible. I, I want to just look ahead here because there's so many cases that we're waiting on, um, including uh, the D.C. Circuit to rule on Trump's claim of immunity any day now. So let me ask both of you. Um, I mean, if they do rule against Trump, which I think most legal experts are expecting them to do, but he's going to take it to the Supreme Court. Everybody expects that, too. Do you think, let me start with you, Andrew, that the Supreme Court would take this up? Or what are the options in terms of what could happen here? You know, I don't know that the Supreme Court will take it up. Um, I used to think it was clear they would, um, but the argument is was so preposterous. Um, this is really one where I think Trump is trying to you know, win the war, but may lose the battle. And what I mean by that is this is all about delay uh, rather than the merits of the case. So the thing that I'm keeping my eye on is when the D.C. Circuit rules against him, how much time do they give um, and sort of limit with respect to sending this back to Judge Chutkins? Because I think that's the whole ballgame is mm-hmm. how tight a leash will there be on that time frame so that he can't play out the clock. Neil, you have argued, you spent a lot of time in the Supreme Court arguing cases, thinking about the Supreme Court, a a lot of time. What is your thought on here and what could happen? I I don't think the Supreme Court's likely to hear the case, Jen. I mean, Trump's claims are so unhinged that the president could do whatever he wants and, you know, murder people with SEAL Team 6. This is crazy. The Supreme Court, I don't think, is going to have much appetite for this. So I'm looking for three things. I'm looking for the rationale of the Court of Appeals decision, the timing of the Court of Appeals decision, and then technically, do they stay the mandate? Do they allow the the March 4th trial date to proceed Mm. as is? I'm suspecting that they're going to do all of those things and basically cue closely to what Judge Chutkin found already, which means that this trial can go forward. I think it's doubtful at this moment the Supreme Court's going to hear this case and stop the trial based on such a bogus theory. March is coming soon. Now, before I let you both go, I want, the E. Jean Carroll trial, which begins Tuesday, it's hard to keep track of all these things So sometimes, so great to have both of you. Uh, it's almost become an afterthought, but why, Andrew, should we not lose sight of this one specifically? Well, this is an important example of Donald Trump not adhering to the rule of law. I mean, he was already found liable by a jury and then proceeded uh, to continue to defame Eugene Carroll. Um, and that is not just me saying it. That is the federal judge overseeing this has found liability. So the case is going to be about 
the damages needed to deter Donald Trump from continuing his defamation of E. Jean Carroll, who he has been found to have sexually assaulted and defamed. So, you know, again, if you're thinking about who to vote for, you would think you might be interested in knowing what a jury, a unanimous jury, found here, and you'd keep your eyes mm -hmm. on what the second jury is going to be doing in connection with the monetary judgment against him. You would think. What a year. Uh, Neil Katziel and Andrew Weissman, thank you both so much for your time this afternoon. And coming up on the eve of the Iowa caucuses, where so much of the attention will be on the GOP candidates, I'll tell you about one internal number from the Biden campaign that should stop Democrats for a moment from freaking out. Plus, the president's re-election team explains why they decided to fully embrace the dark Brandon memes right-wing trolls thought they would play against him. We're back after a quick break. If you're a regular viewer of the show, I'm betting you're fairly attuned to what's going on in the 2024 presidential election. But believe it or not, most people are not attuned. Most people haven't even started to pay attention to the state of the race or come to terms with the likeliest of scenarios, a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And believe me, I get it. It's only January and there's still a very long way to go until November. Lots of people have things going on in their lives. But according to internal polling from the Biden campaign obtained by CNN, as of now, a majority of undecided voters, three out of four, do not seem to believe, at least not yet, that Donald Trump is likely to be the Republican presidential nominee. And as surprising as that may sound, that also tracks with public polling on how closely voters are watching the 2024 election at this point. According to an AP poll, only 20 percent of respondents said that they have been following this year's presidential election closely so far. Well, almost half, 47%, said they have paid little to no attention. So given that voter uncertainty, the Biden campaign is making a bet. Their working theory is that the president's numbers could be at their floor right now, and that once the choice becomes clear, people will not be able to look away from the fact that the race will be between Joe Biden and the guy who takes credit for killing Roe, the guy who openly hopes the economy crashes, the guy who in court is arguing that a president should be able to off their political opponent without criminal consequences. The Biden team's bet is that when voters come to terms with the reality that they will need to pick between Joe Biden and that guy, then they will begin to move towards Biden. Like I said, things could absolutely change, lots of time, but all signs point to a rematch. And if Trump emerges as the nominee, the Republican Party will absolutely coalesce around him. Just listen to what Nikki Haley's most vocal supporter, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, had to say just this week. Even if he's a convicted felon, if he is the Republican nominee, does that mean you're still going to vote for him? Look, I think right now, most of America, it looks like they would they would vote for him because he's winning. He's busy. Biden is so bad that Trump is actually beating Biden in most polls. But what about okay, you, so Governor? most of America is right there? Yeah, I'm going to support the Republican nominee. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that shouldn't shock anybody. It's not a great sign that things will change in the Republican Party when one of Trump's more vocal opponents is already saying he'll support him if he has to. Now, conventional campaign wisdom usually suggests that if you're the incumbent president, you want to see the opposing party's primary fight drag out as long as possible. Let them spend money. Let them fight over each other. But the Biden team is getting ready for when the inevitable rematch with Trump finally becomes clear to voters. 
Right now, three out of four undecided voters may not think that this is the choice. But pretty soon, that reality may be staring everyone in the face. Coming up, a look inside Biden campaign headquarters. I talked to some of the key players behind the digital strategy, the communication strategy, and the ground game. And we'll show you all of it next. So we may be hours away from the official kickoff of the GOP primary and therefore election season, basically. But this last week also felt like the kickoff to Joe Biden's case against the twice impeached, four times indicted GOP frontrunner. All out war is what Trump wants. That's why he doesn't understand the most fundamental truth about this country. Losers are taught to concede when they lose. And he's a loser. It's a clear preview of what's to come. And this week, I got to learn more about what's in store when I paid a visit to the Biden-Harris campaign headquarters in Wilmington to see what's happening behind the scenes. be here at a better time, given the president just gave two major speeches where he laid out the strongest contrast to date with Donald Trump. Well, you had these two powerful speeches that were lauded uh, for good reason across the country. You have Donald Trump the same weekend calling the insurrectionist hostages, suggesting he wants the economy to crash. It seems hard sometimes because he blocks out the sun, right, of coverage by national media. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about what's happening behind the scenes to kind of reach people, reach voters of accomplishments, of the contrast. And what does that messaging look like online from the Biden team? Well, first, I mean, the most important thing is is Trump is often his own worst negative ad. Uh, And so it's important for us to not always be chasing every single controversy Mm -hmm. um, because we get lost in that too. And it's important to focus on what we actually need to communicate to voters. Yeah, it's really all of the above. It's important to remember right now, as it relates to Donald Trump, we're dealing with somebody who, this isn't 2016, right? This is a person who is now running to regain power and he has four years of receipts. And so our job is to communicate to the American people uh, not only the harm that he caused when he was in office, but reminding them every single day as he's out there on the stump. Let me ask you about another topic that comes up. I get asked about this a lot, is the president's age. It pops in polls. It is something that comes up in focus groups. You, Rob, were a part of, I know not alone, but kind of flipping the dark Brandon meme to make it more of a winner. How do you combat this kind of ongoing attack on his age and these attacks and suggestions that he's not up for the job? So the American people know Joe Biden's age. Uh, They also know that with that age comes wisdom, comes experience, comes judgment. That's why they elected him in the first place. And I would also say that they understand that those qualities stand in stark contrast to everybody else on the other side, uh, particularly as it relates to Donald Trump. I mean, I think there's like three different things that I think about when we're tackling this. One is like the dark brand stuff works because, yes, it's funny. Uh, and yes, it's sort of meme but also it is based in that truth. The aviators with, like, yeah. things shooting out of them. I don't know if you're responsible for that, but that was my favorite. But the, here's, <laughs> the best part about it is that we're not actually responsible for it. It's it's a bunch of people who support the president who are doing it themselves. That speaks to a core truth about the president's experience and his ability to get stuff done. You guys decided to um, join Truth Social, which is the platform that Donald Trump created, right, when he was kicked off Twitter. And at the time, you said it was kind of, it was funny. Not you personally, but the campaign said, or... It did. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you personally said... That was in the statement. You said, yes. But, like, in terms of the larger strategy, talk to me a little bit more about the thinking behind kind of 
getting into Donald Trump's space, which yeah. Truth Social definitely is. The decision to get on Truth Social was partially because we thought it would be funny, but also because it is important to be able to kind of um, shape conversations even in pockets of the electorate that don't like us, <laughs> necessarily, yeah. um, uh, to be able to engage in that discussion. Since you know more about digital strategy than most people, where do you think most people are engaging that those people who follow traditional media are not tracking. Conversations about politics are happening uh, on every platform that you could possibly imagine and some that you possibly couldn't. Um, one of the things that is really important to note is that a significant amount of the conversation that happens online actually happens in private. It's not happening on social feeds. It's happening mm. in DM groups. Mm -hmm. It's happening on text messages. Um, the CEO of Instagram said 50% of content shared um, on Instagram happens in these private spaces. I know you spent time with the president um, over the last couple of days, um, traveled with him. You've obviously worked for him for a long time. How does he feel about the campaign really finally kicking off? He's feeling great. He's excited. He's ready uh, for this campaign and for this stark choice that we're going to present to the American people uh, to kick into high gear in 2024. Yeah, this is a guy who uh, loves talking to people uh, and campaigning requires More than thought. most people. <laughs> more than most people. Certainly more than me. And is he game for all the digital proposals you're putting forward? Oh, absolutely. All the sort of dark Brandon jokes and videos you've seen, he's, he's leaning right into them. So, there you uh, go. Yeah. Long live dark Brandon. place you guys go regularly. This huh? is this is Brouhaha right here in Wilmington, this is Delaware. This the coffee place everybody goes the to. The coffee place right across the street from our headquarters. Okay, well let's order. What's your, what's your So you don't just hang out with Joe Biden at campaign events. <laughs> you are overseeing a large swath of this campaign. And there are a lot of people out there who woke up on January 1st and, and hopefully thought, I got to get engaged in politics. I need to yeah. know what's happening. So what's happening internally in the campaign beyond the messaging? Is it six or seven states? So we've been staffing up our states, our battleground states. Uh, we have state staff in Michigan, Nevada, um, uh, Georgia, looking to hire in Georgia, Pennsylvania, getting to those places. Uh, but we've been doing innovative organizing programs to make sure that we're going to be able to reach people. Now, you came to this job with a lot of Georgia experience, some important Georgia experience, including yeah. running the campaign of Senator Warnock. Yep. Are there things from that race that are lessons that you're taking to how you're approaching your role in this in this job? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, most importantly, Georgia's home. Uh, and so it, it'll always have a special place in my heart. Um, you know, it's also really important, right? Democracy was on the ballot um, in Georgia as well. But it's a lesson that, you know, these people are invested. Um, Democrats have a message to them. We can communicate to them. It's going places where Democrats don't normally go. Uh, to deliver a message. So let's talk about abortion rights. Is abortion rights going to be the same type of a driver it was in 2022? You have to think about turnout and all those sorts yeah. of things in your job. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, I think that Republicans have underestimated this issue at every turn. Voters came out in force against it um, in 2022 and just recently again in 2023. And in places like Kentucky and Ohio, uh, and they're, they're fumbling over themselves about whether this is sort of a messaging problem. It's a policy position problem. Donald Trump is running television advertisements bragging about the fact that he appointed justices that took away a woman's right to choose. Are there states that, you know, Democrats have a big hope about Texas and Florida. Are those places where the Biden campaign is going to invest, is going to have people on the ground, is going to have an operational campaign? 
Well, look, as you know, you win the presidency by getting 270 electoral votes, and our goal is to keep all our options open. Uh, but when you talk about Florida and really coming off of, you know, the question that you just asked about uh, abortion rights, um, you know, people in Florida are fighting like hell uh, for their freedoms. Uh, and as long as they're doing that, our campaign is going to be right there, making sure that they understand that they have a place in the Biden-Harris coalition. Uh, and we're going to do everything we can and be in a position that if any state comes online throughout the course of this cycle, that we're going to be in a place to capitalize on it. Thank you to the Biden campaign staff for showing me around the headquarters. There are a lot of dark Brandon cutouts there, I can tell you. But that does it for me today. Uh, there's a, but there's a very busy week ahead. Tomorrow, I'll kick off coverage of the Iowa caucuses as voters prepare to cast their ballots at 4 p.m. Eastern right here on MSBC. Then at 7 p.m. Eastern, Rachel Maddow and team pick up analysis with Steve Kornacki, breaking down results at the famous big board. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.